This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. For those who pray the rosary daily, she promises signal graces, which are basically those little affirmations and encouragements from heaven saying, you know, I see you. Stay focused on your journey. (laughs) We may be living in a material world, but how can we live transcendentally? I ask Annabelle Mosley, poet, theology professor, and author of Sacred Braille, The Rosary is Masterpiece, on Almost Good Catholics. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Rodinitz, and I get to ask interesting people who thought about the big questions to share their conclusions, to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. And I hope this format in dialogue and back and forth helps us approach the truth and have a great time doing it. If you'd like to join the conversation, please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. My guest today is Annabelle Mosley. She is a poet, an author, a wife and mother, a Catholic life coach. She's in formation to become a lay Carmelite. She's also a theology professor and teaches at St. Joseph's College in New York. The website about the Bethany Plan is called BethanyPlan.com, and it helps Catholics find balance in an unbalanced world and teaches about sacred balance, sacred belonging and sacred beauty as a way to find the right equilibrium of work and prayer in our lives. And you can go to BethanyPlan.com when you subscribe and take the free Bethany quiz to find out what your gifts are. Her podcasts include Then Sings My Soul and Destination Sainthood, and most recently, Consecration to the Sacred Heart, which is a 33-day Lenten journey that you can follow on your phone. I'm on day 17. (laughs) And also a companion to her new book, Our House of the Sacred Heart, a litany of stories with art, prayers, and reflections. Her previous book, which I'm especially keen to ask her about, is Sacred Braille, The Rosary as Masterpiece. So welcome, Annabelle Mosley, to Almost Good Catholics. Oh, thank you, Chris. I'm, I'm honored to be with you. It's a blessing. Do you have a joke to share? I have a good joke I could share. You ready? Ready. All right. A priest, a minister, and a rabbit walk into a bar. (laughs) The bartender looks up at them, and the rabbit says, I think I'm a typo. (laughs) That's nice. Yeah. (laughs) It's an extra T. He's got an extra T. Yeah. Yeah, because first I thought like typo, like, type O negative or whatever, but no. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny because they always say, if you have to explain the joke, maybe it wasn't the best. No, that's But I picked it because I cracked up at it when I saw it on Instagram the other day. I was, I was laughing hysterically. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
and it, it runs so fast, right? The, it's all about timing. Um, yes. So tell us a bit about yourself and your, your, your life and your journey. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will proclaim your praise. So I was born on the feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. I was baptized at a church named for St. Louis de Montfort, and he's a saint known for his special devotion to the rosary, right? So I really take seriously these early calls in my life to spread devotion to the mysteries of the rosary. And I also teach that we should align the sorrows and joys of our own lives to those of Jesus and his mother. I was raised on the North Shore of Long Island. I was influenced by five generations of my family. I spent much of my childhood time in an unforgettable red house that I like to call our house Mm -hmm. of the sacred heart. And I continue to witness to the lessons of faith I've learned in my own home on Long Island, where I reside with my husband and my children. And I'm so grateful for the domestic church we've built. Uh, As you so kindly said, I'm a professor of theology and, and all of that, and I'm in formation to become a lay Carmelite. And you spoke about my website, The Bethany Plan, which is also the name of the newest book I'm finishing now. So I created this Bethany plan, hoping to help busy Catholics uh, find balance, you know, in this unbalanced world and teach about sacred balance, sacred belonging, sacred beauty, all of these things found in our Lord as a way to find the right equilibrium of work and prayer in our lives. So, you know, it's interesting, Chris, actually, because as a professor of theology, I found I was getting to know the biblical accounts of Bethany very well. Mm -hmm. I was always drawn to Bethany. As a Catholic poet, I always had this charism for beauty. I've always been kind of Mary of Bethany, you know, full of contemplation, sitting at Christ's feet, my head just unabashedly in the clouds of wonder and awe. But when I became a mother, I unexpectedly became Martha of Bethany too. Yeah, I was full of needed action. I had, out of nowhere, I had this charism for always wanting everyone to feel welcome and serve the sense of belonging in my home. Um, and my feet had to be firmly planted in the day-to-day ministry because it was always helping others. So it, it was interesting. You know, I had this heightened hunger to belong more deeply because, as you know, you know, when you do become a parent, you do face a certain loneliness and fears that come because you love these people so much mm-hmm. and these challenges arise. So as poet and mother in my own life, I've become simultaneously Mary and Martha. And through my studies as a professor of theology, I've come to see how both are necessary because after all, both Mary and Martha are saints and we need them both. So that's what bethanyplan.com goes into and my new book by that title, which uh, maybe I'll come back again when that's done and chat with you about that. Absolutely. uh, (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, how do you find balance in in the, I mean, every parent, you know, the, the, for me, the biggest jump was going from zero children to one because um, and we, we've got four, but I just like each additional child is only a little bit more work, but going from zero to one where suddenly I'm no longer the, the main person I'm interested in or my, my wife and I are not the main people I'm interested in, but this other completely dependent little person. And instead of like, oh, what do I want to watch on Netflix or what kind of takeout do I want to take, you know, order when I get home? Now it's like I'm my my food is these cold macaroni and cheese noodles that I'm intercepting between the, the little plastic froggy plate and the garbage disposal. And I'm always up in the middle of the night and all these other things like how do you especially, you know, I think it goes double for mothers uh, than it does for even, you know, the most dedicated father. But how do you find balance? How do you do all these different things? Well, I'll have to pique your interest for the book so that you read the book, but I'll give Fair you enough. a little, a little like a foretaste, a little fun. Basically, one of the great beauties comes from 
praying within the action. Mm. Um, you know, as a, as a lay Carmelite, we talk a lot in our formation about axio and contemplatio, action, contemplation, or work in prayer. And the real test is when, you know, the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. You know, no small task. How do we do that if we take that literally? Let's, okay, we'll pray without ceasing. Well, there's certainly many times, according to our state in life, we have to be working. What if we make that work a prayer? And it can be as simple as praying the morning offering. There's several morning offerings our church offers where you basically consecrate your day um, to Jesus through Mary. And you say, every action of this day I offer up. So, so when all of a sudden, you know, you've got 20 emails you haven't answered. You've got a full sink of dishes to put into the dishwasher. The baby's crying and you have to make dinner. All of a sudden, there's a real holiness that you can say, wow, this is a prayer because in serving this family and doing this work, I'm serving our Lord. And, yeah. you know, I, I think, I'm sorry, Chris, go ahead. I was just going to say that reminds me of the great Carmelite St. Therese of Lisieux yes. in a little way. Yes, yes. That's so beautifully and- said. I find it much easier with physical tasks. Like, for example, you have many examples that you give in, in your books, um, but one is like your grandfather shining his shoes every day or you, are, you and your grandmother setting the table um, with the particular dishes. Uh, there's a lot of physical tasks that I can do like that. I, I have a, a, a classroom that can get quite messy, and I find that cleaning up after my um, very lovely but sometimes ridiculous ninth graders is a... Uh, um, can be like that. But email, yeah, I find absolutely. I've completely gone down the rabbit hole and I'm thinking about five different political things or whatever, and sure. I've already forgotten my intention. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes it's an offering up. Sometimes it's offering the discomfort of it all to the reparation of our, our Lord's heart to say, I really would rather be at Eucharistic adoration or I'd rather be relaxing you know, with a good book, but instead I'm, I'm slogging away here through some emails that are touching upon some nerves or I feel overloaded. There's, is this like the fifth load of laundry I've done today? Mm-hmm. And if it's offered up, suddenly it's beautiful. You know, you mentioned Chris, those little tasks and my grandfather gave me a really good example of that. He would shine his shoes every night and one time, and, and he did it, you know, he really did it almost like he was, he had his whole kit, you know, he had a shoe shining kit and he'd really put a lot of work into it. And I'd see him opening up all the different bottles and, and, and cleaning his shoes. And one night I said to him, he seemed so deep in thought. And I said, what are you doing? What, what, where are you, what are you thinking about? And I was only about six or seven at the time. And he said, well, dear, I'm praying. I'm praying to Our Lady. And he said, you know, whenever I shine my shoes, I pray. And he looked right at me with this very deep look I never forgot. He, like he was trying to pour something into me, you know? And he said, if you ever need anything, pray to Our Lady. So he took that moment, that workaday moment, and used it as a teaching moment. And he took that workaday moment and he made it holy, sort of that uh, almost a monastic moment in the midst of a busy family. He raised six kids. But, you know, um, I, I learned so many lessons from my family, Chris. My father and my grandfather died within months of each other when I was mm. 10 and 11. And now I write a lot more about this uh, in my book, Our House of the Sacred Heart. And that also describes really how faith saved my life and got me through. I spent a lot of my childhood in this unforgettable red house. I, I now call it Our House of the Sacred Heart. It was the house of my grandparents. It was painted red. And it was, uh, I guess it was a delight in ordinary times. And it was a yeah. refuge in difficult times. Yeah. 
I know you're a poet at heart and your literary spirit being cultivated by your parents and your earliest poems being published in the newspaper when you were but a child of six. So how does the spirit of the artist serve you in approaching God? And I love how poetry and visual art are in your podcast and your music, how they accompany your prose discussions of theology. Well, you know, the spirit of the artist serves me in approaching God because I'm always in a state of wonder and awe at his beauty. It, it serves because even when I study scripture, I bring the perspective of an artist immersed in beauty. In studying sacred scripture, I find that I notice the poetry of the words and the imagery and the layers of meaning and the rich language. And I do love to teach about Catholic music and architecture and painting and all the ways in which, you know, faith-filled artists have proclaimed truth without words. But as a poet myself, I'm comfortable with deeper layers of meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, I like what's what's deeper than at first meets the eye. And I think that's why I love to draw others into the mysteries of the rosary. Because I would argue, you know, if we're talking about the rosary, that's best discussed in a genre like poetry. It's literally mysteries. And, and common language doesn't really do the language of the rosary justice when we talk about it. I think poetry is the best way to speak of something like the mysteries of our faith. And the last thing I'd say about it is I really relate to David the psalmist. Uh, He was a poet, he was a musician, and he danced for joy before Mm -hmm. the Ark of the Covenant. He just never got over his love for the Creator. And I feel I don't ever want to get over my love either. Yeah. And he was a man after God's heart. That's it. And uh, he was a terrible sinner. Yes. Just just like the rest of us. Just like us. Oh, Yeah. yeah. It's such comfort to know that he was after God's heart. Thank God. Okay. Well, before we talk about the rosary and Braille, I want to ask you about sacramental living and how you personally walk partly in our material world and partly in the miraculous and mysterious one. And you talk a lot about sacramental living, which is a concept I'm very, very interested in. Uh, Listeners will know I've asked these mystical questions of of Lauren Nelson and her friendship with St. Therese. Uh, She said to be a Catholic is to live in an enchanted world. And Chris Paget, in his approach to Our Lady, in your book, Sacred Braille, you tell of a pin that you found next to your pillow when you were little. And in your podcast, Then Sings My Soul, you describe a cardinal, your grandfather's bird, alighting on the, on the branch next to your window. How do you see this mystical world as always half visible or entirely visible through the gauze of reality, these maybe even shadowlands that we inhabit? That is such a beautiful and insightful question. Uh, it's what I call the gift of the poet's eye. So the poet's eye can make beauty out of mess and pain and see something numinous in the ordinary. I want to train the eyes of my readers to see the poetry in their lives, the poetry of God. He's the word made flesh and the author of salvation. And so his very life was the most perfect poem. Whatever my reader's story or my student's story, however painful it might be, I just want to assure them that God has left signs and symbols along the way clues to guide to his heart. And I want my books, especially Our House of the Sacred Heart, I guess also Sacred Braille too, to help readers see the clues I've come to see. God leaves these signs to teach each of us lessons. You know, you mentioned um, beautiful examples, Chris, and and one that I love is the dogwood blossom. Mm -hmm. Uh, The wounds of Christ are just present right there on a beautiful flower and hidden in plain sight there's these clues of God's great mysteries and graces left throughout our lives in nature, in the goodness of others, in the arts, but even in ordinary household tasks and objects. One of my favorite quotes is C.S. Lewis, 
And he reminds, it's of course, right? Those things are not the thing itself that we love. Yeah. It's only the scent of a flower we haven't found, the echo of a tune we haven't heard, news from a country we haven't visited. Now we know that country is heaven and the clues God leaves us help to lead us there. So I think that's what the sacraments and sacramentals teach us too. That's why our faith is so beautiful. We have a sacramental faith and they're all signs pointing to heaven. Do you have uh, guidance for how we prosaic pilgrims might cultivate the spirit of seeing and hearing and smelling and tasting things from just beyond um, just beyond this th- threshold? Uh, I talked in uh, the first episode of this podcast about how once I was driving to the hospital and a prayer drifted out onto the top of my foot right when I was thinking of it on a, on a printed piece of paper. And then as I was um, thinking about Lent and writing um, what questions I might ask you, I suddenly remembered an experience exactly a year ago when, when it was Lent last year and I was going to be a lector at my church and Mahler's Resurrection Symphony came on whatever uh, device I had playing and I was sitting at this little table outside uh, of my house where my, my second daughter had received a necklace from her friend as a present, but that little tag had been left on the table and the, whatever store makes those necklaces that she got as a present was called resurrection. And so like I heard resurrection, I saw a note that's just like a, a piece of litter that said resurrection. These are just a bunch of coincidences would say any skeptical materialist. But I, for me, like I really felt like I, I felt that I was, that um, God was talking to me. Uh, how do you, but I feel, I wish that happened to me every day, all day long. And, <laughs> and the fact that I'm thinking of something a year ago shows that I'm still I'm a little bit blind. How do I, how do I get there? I, I know just what you mean. You know, I had a professional disappointment recently and I offered it up to God's holy will. I actually took the time to pray on it and say, okay, uh, I was going to pray that, you know, the surrender novena. So I was praying those words. Okay, thy will be done. You take care mm. of it. I surrender this to you, Lord. And in that moment, my phone beeped and a friend had sent me a link to a post written about surrendering to the will of God. And I never yeah. see posts on that. And it was while I was praying it. So yeah. it's that moment that makes you pause and say, thank you. It's actually one of my friends calls it a God wink. I think that's really cute. Hmm. Um, I like to call it, um, well, they're, they're signal graces, really. You know, there's signal graces. And in fact, here we are talking about the rosary today. One of the promises that Mary gives us when we pray the rosary, according to St. Dominic, is if we pray the rosary daily, um, among, you know, I'm sure other, other people get them too. But for those who pray the rosary daily, she promises signal graces, which are basically those little affirmations and encouragements from heaven saying, you know, I see you stay focused on your journey. Um, <laughs> I remember one day, actually, I was I was preparing to begin my formation as a lay Carmelite, still discerning, you know, I prayed for a sign. And I mean, Chris, totally out of the blue, in the most unlikely of ways, a rosary with a medal of Our Lady of Mount Carmel came to me, just wow. like, okay, I, I, I get the message, you know? Yeah. Um, so as far as, you know, you asked so eloquently, really, you said, how, how can prosaic pilgrims cultivate this spirit? That was literally one of my goals in writing Our House of the Sacred Heart. Each chapter in that book ends with questions, discussion Mm -hmm. questions. It can be used individually or even in a retreat setting. And those questions will kind of cultivate that and turn any prosaic pilgrim into one who can see more clearly 
the offerings God leaves them to discern because they are in everyone's life. If you're hearing this and thinking, oh, you know, how come I can't get something like that? You know, it's sort of like you said, Chris, I wish I could get that every day. I truly believe God leaves us something every day. And just as, you know, the catechism teaches us that, you know, why can't we see our guardian angel? Because it's, we have bodily eyes, right? That's what the catechism will teach. You can't see them with bodily eyes. When you're, when you're a spirit after your death, you'll be able to see all that. In a similar way, there's a vision we can cultivate that will allow us to see the signal graces and they're there. God is giving them to you. You have to pray for them and you have to look for them and the book will help. Perfect. Um, And let's talk about the other book too, The Rosary is Sacred Braille. What does this mean? What's the history of the rosary? What's the history of Braille? Uh, Explain the metaphor. Um, I, a month ago, I asked Robert Fastigi and he said, we are all beggars. And I thought of him again when reading your words that you said, we are all blind. You write, uh, we need no sight to pray the rosary, yet it cultivated our spiritual vision. Cling to the beads of the rosary in the middle of a frightened night and you will experience the light of tangible language, of tactile prayer, of sacred braille. Oh, well, oh, thank you. That was beautiful to to quote that. Um, well, for the history of the rosary, I love to recommend, I actually teach a class on the rosary. Um, and I love to recommend Father Donald Calloway's Champions of the Rosary, if you want a really good history. It's a long story. It's, it's a thorough story. There's so much to read about. So if you're interested in the full history, read Champions of the Rosary. But in a nutshell, if you want a uh-huh. quick answer for someone, it's kind of useful to have this. I like to say the rosary is the Bible on beats. <laughs> the words of the Our Father and the Hail Mary come right from Scripture. So it's a great thing to tell our Protestant friends. If yeah. you look at the words of the Our Father and the Hail Mary, both of them, all those words come from Scripture. Now, the original mysteries are the joyful, the sorrowful, and the glorious. And we call these three what's traditionally known as Mary's Psalter. Meaning, remember in the old days, long ago, Christians, and, and actually Jews before that, used to pray the Psalms every day? Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, the apostles, probably many of them who were good Jews before they met Christ, they would have been praying the Psalms every day. And there are 150 Psalms. And if you pray the full rosary, which is the joyful, sorrowful, and glorious, you get 150. So the idea was these were, instead of praying the Psalms every day, which take a long time, Mary right. gives this gift of, you pray these three, you know, the, the joyful, the sorrowful, and the glorious, and you will have prayed 150. So when I wrote Sacred Braille, I wanted to make that prayerful task feel really, to put it bluntly, just more awesome. You know, I teach students both at St. Joseph's College, um, and I get I get very honest kids. I also get people from all walks of life. I get people returning back to get their degree, and, their, and some of them are senior citizens. I also teach at a seminary, and you get a lot of very devoted souls there. In both locations, I had... Catholics coming up to me saying, Professor, I wish I liked the rosary more. Yeah. And it was, I thought it was so poignant and beautiful. They must know, they sensed that it was going to help them. They sensed that it was powerful, but they didn't love it. They found it a little bit um, repetitive or, so I wanted to write something that would make them never see the rosary that way again. Um, and I feel I'm told by readers that if you read Sacred Braille, you don't ever look at it as tedious or, uh, you know, you look at it as as beautiful, more beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. The rosary has a very storied history. I love what St. Padre Pio calls it. He calls it the weapon. And ah. I think it's empowering. You know, here we are 
We're dealing with a war in Ukraine. We're dealing with a world filled with a mess of greed and sin and selfishness. Here's a peaceful, but accurately said, weapon that we can take up. I mean, Our Lady of Fatima asked us to pray the rosary every day for peace. And here we have our Pope just followed that. He just consecrated Russia recently as as of the time of this recording. He just consecrated mm-hmm. Russia to Mary's Immaculate Heart. That was directly following the request of Our Lady of Fatima. But how about us? How about the rest of us who aren't the Pope? How do we help with that task? Well, how would the world change if everyone started praying the rosary? Can you imagine? You know, Our Lady said at Fatima, if you want peace in the world, pray the rosary every day. Do the first five Saturday devotions, which is, you Mm -hmm. know, each first Saturday of the month, you go to mass, you go to confession. Um, and just a and little that's, sidebar. That's tomorrow. <laughs> You're Today's right. As a, <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah, it's so timely. <laughs> You're right. Mm-hmm. It is tomorrow. And, you know, it's it's the kind of thing I love to tell people if you missed it. Like, let's say if if you hear this recording and it's it's not <laughs> tomorrow, it's a great way to circle your calendar and say, starting this month, I'm going to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, I feel confession really is the best self-help out there and mm. the greatest secret to joy. You sleep like a baby once you've been to confession a few months in a row. Mm. We should be running to confession. It's such uh, an uplifting, it takes the weight off your shoulders, really. So that's all about the rosary because all of that is connected to the rosary, really. Um, and I will say just briefly, it's a very personal story, but if you read my book, I talk about how when my father was dying, I held his hand. And when I was holding his hand, I kept saying, I love you. I just kept repeating it again and again while I Mm -hmm. knew he could still hear me. And you know, you know, Chris, it never occurred to me that I was being repetitive, repeating myself too much. I just wanted to fill his ears with my love while I knew he could still hear me. And that's really how I think we ought to look at the rosary. Each Hail Mary, each Our Father is holding the hand through those rosary beads or even through our 10 fingers. We're holding the hand of Our Lady and our Lord and telling them of our love. And it's a love, it's a love story. So the rosary is so rich in terms of the history of Braille. Um, you can do a, a web search on that, but it was invented by Louis Braille and he was a Catholic. Hmm. So that's pretty cool. He was himself yeah. blind and he was a Catholic. And what I like to say is why is the rosary sacred Braille? Because we are all blind. Even those of us who love him, right? We think of that Quote from John chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So even those of us who love him can be blind to his presence in our daily lives. We're talking about cultivating the vision, looking for the sacramental signs. Well, the rosary, if we pray it regularly, it's going to help us recognize him through the gift of the braille that we can we can even hold on to our rosary in the middle of a dark night, right? We don't need vision to pray the rosary and yet praying it will give us the interior vision that we need to see things with more clarity. Yeah. I now, as I was doing my um, very amateurish internet research be- about Braille, uh, I was very surprised to find that Braille is also organized in decades that uh, when Louis Braille yeah. or Braille um, did it, he did the first four dots for 10 letters. And then the second 10 letters, he added a th- another dot to the bottom. And on the third 10 letters, he added another dot to the, to the bottom. So it, it also goes in, in, uh, in decades. Uh, isn't that, that just, amazing. isn't that just stunning? And, you know, I'll tell you one of the, oh, just one of the standout moments uh, in my life was when Sacred Braille, my book, was then transcribed into Braille. For the visually uh, yes. challenged. Yeah. 
and uh, and it's done. It's made possible. It was made possible through a grant so that no visually challenged person will ever pay for that book. Yeah. And when they sent me that book, and I felt, I closed my eyes and and just felt the braille. It's similar to a rosary in that you don't you don't need your eyes to see, and yet within yourself, the story, the mysteries, the beauty are all unfolding. Just like you could read Shakespeare if you were blind by learning and, and feeling braille. You can close your eyes in the middle of a frightened night, hold your rosary, or even use your own fingers as the beads if you don't have a rosary to pray, and you're really holding hands with Mary or our Lord. And you're in the midst of their mysteries, in the midst of their life, taken out of your own worries, you know, at the agony in the garden or the annunciation. You're there beautiful yeah um you you're a great believer in in metaphor and i'm always impressed that our our faith is so physical that it is around um, there's there's beads there's bread there's wine there's oil there's um ashes uh we we do things in a in a very physical way and as i think you just said so do our jewish brothers and sisters when we celebrate uh passover we have the you know, something bitter and something, you know, like at, um, at, we do things very physically. The world is a physical world, but they all carry their physical um, meaning. And you're a great believer in metaphor. And just because something's a metaphor doesn't mean it's not true. So talk about how God has organized this world of ours in metaphor. No, it's it's, it's, it's even truer. You know, it's not just that it's, yeah. it's not true. It's that it's even truer. Um, you know, a symbol we teach our children in school. I used to teach high school and I would teach them in, I was an English teacher. A symbol stands for both itself and something else. It's not one or the other. You know, the American flag, objectively speaking, is a piece of blue and white and red cloth. (laughs) But we all know when we look at it that it stands for America. And it's literally both. And God is so big, isn't he? He's so vast. So it's best to speak to us who are so much littler and 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 let him fill us with his metaphor because at least when he speaks in metaphor we see that there's always more layers and always more levels so i feel god has really organized the world in metaphor the bible is all metaphor but it's all true it's all exact and true but it's also so deep and so many levels and uh you know with with all of god's beauty between how he speaks to us in nature in the hearts of the saints in scripture we really have a gold standard to compare ourselves to in every form of life. So again, it's that poet's eye. And guess what? The psalmist's eye, because David mm. is the psalmist, and that's basically a poet, a musician, a poet. Um, his lyrics are poetry. So yeah. we have that relationship. But the other thing I love about the psalmist, David, is he has such an intimacy with God. He's very honest with God. He's always frank with God and yet respectful at the same time. So in our modern society, it's very cool to say like, oh, I just want to tell God how I feel. Well, remember you're talking to the king. Yeah. But yes, open up your heart to him. And I think David is the perfect example. He'll yeah. tell him, he'll cry out from his depths. He doesn't hold back, but he does do it always through a filter of respect and love while being completely honest. So again, you know, in our Catholic faith, when I teach it, what I love about it is that it's both and. Everything is both and. Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. So that that's metaphor. That's, that's everything functions both as itself and as something even greater and deeper than it first meets the eye. And it's a constant gift, a constant unfolding. 
talk about the mysteries and uh, the addition of the luminous mysteries to the original three. Well, when I was working with my publisher on my book about the rosary, Sacred Braille, the rosary is masterpiece, I actually chose to make the section on the luminous mysteries the fourth section. I wanted to separate Pope John Paul II's edition from the original, the joyful, the sorrowful, and the glorious, again, because those three make up what's traditionally known as Mary's Psalter. Um, that's the, you know, right, representing the 150 yeah. Psalms. So the addition of the luminous mysteries cannot ever change that Mary's Psalter is the traditional rosary. But the luminous mysteries are stunning, and they really bear such great fruit when, when they're prayed well. Um, there was such a true, powerful love between Pope St. John Paul II and Our Lady. Yeah. I think of his motto, totus tuus. Yeah. And whenever he writes or speaks of her, it's really with the love of an adoring son, isn't it? He just loves her so much. And so the luminous mysteries really help to increase our loyalty to the sacraments. If we notice, the first luminous mystery Yes, it's dedicated to the theme of the baptism, the baptism of our Lord. But I love to point out that it's also Eucharistic. Since St. John the Baptist, who's a forerunner to the priesthood, says in a priestly way that really moves me every time I encounter it, behold, the Lamb of God, right? Agnes Dei. Mm -hmm. That's a Eucharistic part of the Mass. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, it's interesting because the luminous mysteries end with the institution of the Eucharist, but the great forerunner, John the Baptist, begins the luminous mysteries pointing to that, that Eucharist part of the Mass. Um, the transfiguration, I feel, really deepens our devotion to the agony in the garden. It strengthens our devotion to the sorrowful mysteries because mm -hmm. we're seeing the same three who Jesus called to stay awake, to watch and pray in Gethsemane. Here, they're being given the gift by our Lord that will strengthen them in the Mount of Olives. They get yeah. to see the glory, um, a foretaste of it. And I would even say that the mystery of the proclamation of the kingdom is a sobering and much needed warning to all of us living in these crazy times to, well, repent and stay awake. So um, interestingly, the luminous mysteries were not invented by Pope St. John Paul II. There's a common um, misconception about that. Yeah, he didn't I write didn't them. Know that. Yeah. Yeah, no, they were actually proposed um, by Father George Preca in 1957, and he's now Saint George Preca. Um, so he's, you know, a very important figure, having attained sainthood. And what Pope St. John Paul II did was just to agree and propose those same mysteries to the universal church. And why is it so timely? You know, it's timely because those mysteries are all about the sacraments that are being attacked today. Today, many people aren't baptizing their children. The first mystery is about the baptism of Jesus. Today, the family is being attacked in countless ways. And let's face it, praying the wedding at Cana reminds of the sacramental union of mm -hmm. man and woman in holy ma matrimony, you know, and it makes reparation to the sacred heart of Jesus for all the sins against marriage. Um, the the uh, proclamation of the kingdom, well, that's really a reminder that these days a lot of people are afraid to openly talk about the gospel. You know, mm -hmm. or sadly, they don't even see any need to. It might not be that they are trying to do the wrong thing. They just literally don't see that they have to proclaim the, the good news. Um, and what about the Eucharist? How many Catholics these days, unfortunately, do not believe in yeah. the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist? And that's so sad. As many as yeah. two-thirds, they say, don't believe Jesus is really present in the Eucharist. Yeah, that's a shocking 
development. I love the luminous mysteries because they're sort of the phase of life I am in. You know, yes. the, the, there's the one, the others are about birth and about the leaving of life and then about the resurrection. Uh, and for me, like this, the celebrating that the wedding with friends and, uh, you know, breaking bread and drinking wine, this is really what I do. Uh, or I try to do with my friends in, you know, in the, in, in that spirit or finding the kingdom of God to be at hand. I feel that's sort of what we talked yeah. about metaphor like that, that, that good news. <laughs> that, You're right. That is here. It is. That's, that's really what I'm trying to do every day. And that, so those Thursdays. I, I always love the. Don't you love Thursdays? I know it's I it's always Thursdays. a highlight. Of the, <laughs> I feel the same way. It's funny. Yeah. I made an um an online prayer companion. If you go to YouTube, and okay. you go to my channel, which is called Tour Guide of Wonder, I made these online companions to praying the Rosary, where you can pray along, and I put in all this beautiful art to kind of accompany you while you pray, and I did put my poetic reflections in between, just to keep making each mystery fresh with, with meditations and reflections. And do you know what? Even though it's the only time, right, we only pray the Luminous Mysteries on Thursday, yeah. I have the most watches, like tons for yeah. the Luminous Mysteries. So people love them. And I, I agree. I love them too. It's just where we are. I don't think they're more important by any means, but that's no. just where we are. Would you like to uh, – sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead, please. I was going to say, would you like to talk about the addition of the Fatima prayer? Oh, first let's say – um, from what I correct me, please, if I'm wrong about this, the rosary was sort of given to St. Dominic in the 13th century and Absolutely. Then became formalized in the um, Council of Trent in the 16th century. And then this edition of the luminous century was just recently with uh, St. John Paul II. Um, but there's also a Fatima prayer that came 100 years ago when, when Our Lady appeared in 1917, which uh, I talked about with a couple other guests. Would you talk about that and what what you think of it? Sure. So that's, um, for those unfamiliar, it's really brief. It's, oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins. Save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to heaven, especially those most in need of thy mercy. And really, um, Our Lady at Fatima told the children that people should add this prayer to the end of every decade of the rosary. And really, it affirms the reality of hell, which is a truth that needs to be remembered. And, you know, it can really save souls when it's remembered and prayed about. For a while, the fashion was, you know, maybe in the 1980s and 90s and early 2000s, it was very uncommon to hear mentions of hell and uh, people forgetting that our church very much teaches that, yes, hell exists, very much so. And Our Lady confirmed it and even showed the children at Fatima a vision of it. And let's pray. Let's pray for all those who are on the verge of death, on the verge of temptation. Through this prayer, we can pray for those most in need of mercy and asked to be saved from that fate. It's an incredible addition. And of course, she gives this prayer right before these wars that would take so many lives. World War One, World War Two, you know? Yeah. Plus all the other conflicts in the world. It's it's really a service to pray this prayer for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters. Do you have a feeling on, um, uh, I would often get into disagreements with Protestant brothers and sisters who really felt that you're in hell if you don't do the right thing at the right time. And so they would get very uh, earnest in their evangelization of people who are, you know, are you saved? Um, that sort of thing. And I, and from my Catholic point of view, which is really based on C.S. Lewis more, more than I the catechism at that so point, much. was like, you yes. kind of put yourself in hell because you're clinging to your pride and your illusions. And I think that when you die, it all becomes very clear. And the fact that Jesus descended into hell 
on Holy Saturday, I have a feeling that those doors are not locked and that anyone can, you know, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in need of thy mercy. I, I just, do you feel that, do you agree with this point of view that uh, you, you stay in hell until you are willing to abandon your pride and almost like a quarantine because you're just not clean enough for the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> or do you have this, you know, something, I don't, you know, I don't want to call it traditional, but a little more simplistic where it's like, um, time's up. No, no, no. Uh, you know, that, that sort of, well, you know, it's funny just getting back to C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis. And interestingly with C.S. Lewis, he was on the brink of converting to Catholicism Yeah. before he died. (laughs) I, it's so he would have gotten there. So he really is a brother. I love him. And his, his writings are so in line. Um, there might be something I'm, I haven't read that isn't, but everything I've read of his is. And I love how he talks about another part of this, of the hell issue. And there's not just hell and there's not just heaven, there's purgatory. Mm-hmm. And don't you love the line, Chris, where he says, our soul demands purgatory, doesn't oh, yeah. it? And he yeah. gives the metaphor, the image of the soul appearing before God, dripping in its rags, its dirty rags, smelling and filthy and saying, and God, imagine if God said to that soul, come in, my child. Yeah. It's true that your breath stinks and that your rags are dripping with grime, but please come into the joy. And as only he can write it with his dry British wit. And he yeah. says, the soul would say, if you please, sir, I'd rather be cleaned first. Yeah. So for those souls, you know, God is ever merciful. Mm-hmm. For the soul that loves him back and doesn't fight with our free will, so much is about our will. Uh, but we have to train our will while we're mm-hmm. alive. So that when we're blinded by that light, that blinding light, we don't turn away. Think of St. Peter, who said when he first met Jesus, depart from me, Lord, for I am mm-hmm. a sinful man. Yes. If he had died in that moment, I don't like to think of where St. Peter would have gone in that moment because he's literally rejecting God. And look at what he was capable of. Look at what mm-hmm. Jesus drew out of him. He's the first pope. He's the mm-hmm. rock. So, mm-hmm. so much is about while we're still alive, while we're in the church militant here. We need to cultivate our will so that we always choose God again and again and again, and we wouldn't fight against it. If we always choose God in his mercy, that's where purgatory comes in, where if we're sinful, if we're dripping with grime, there's purgatory. (laughs) Whereas hell is more understood for the ones who are, and unfortunately and sadly, there are many who just want no part of Jesus. Uh, no matter how much he tries to love them, they basically tell him, depart from me. So it's, um, I think the Fatima prayer is great mercy. It's great mercy because when we can admit that there is a hell and that we are sinners and say, please forgive us, please save us. And not only us, but let's pray for those who are in need of thy mercy. Who knows what person is being cradled by that prayer, being helped along. You know, one of the greatest things about our faith is that God gives us an active part through our prayers. It's not just... You're, you're hands-on when you're praying. You're really allowed to help do something that helps save another soul. Isn't that incredible? I mean, yes. I never get over that. Yeah. Another fun thing, Chris, is my parish. I don't know if you guys have heard this one, but, but I'm part of my parish rosary society. And the men and women in my parish add at the end of after the Fatima prayer, they always add, oh, good Jesus, protect and save the unborn. Hmm. And I yeah. love that. I love that. My children love that too. And we pray the rosary just in these times, just storming the gates with our rosary, you know, pleading yes. for these innocent little lives who can't speak for themselves. Yeah. Um, 
I had How did that do? Did that sum it up? That, did that sum yeah, it up? That was, that was really good. And I, I just, ha- I, I just lost the thought. I can't. I don't know what it was. <laughs> um, um, oh, I know. I was just going to say, um, uh, I have heard from a couple Lewis scholars that had he swum the Tiber and become a Catholic, he might <laughs> not have been as accessible to those who, out of hand, reject Romish. Yes interesting popery yes. and so on and so like his sort of his foot in our world the foot in the other world really helps him be a conduit to christians of every oh every i agree kind. and he's he's very often talked about by by yeah. by catholics who make that conversion or become yeah. a revert yeah that's right that's do right. you love um do you love the screw tape letters very much, very Me much. Too. I just listened to it uh, a couple weeks ago while walking my dog. There's a John Cleese <laughs> audio oh, book on awesome. YouTube. Oh, awesome. I love that one. <laughs> so John Cleese is the demon screw tape. Yeah. Oh, I used to play that for my C.S. Lewis class. And, yeah. you know, I had one student one day stand up, and she was much older than myself. And she said, do you mean to tell me, according to C.S. Lewis and even according to our Catholic Church, mm-hmm. that there's actually a Satan, a devil? Do you, do you, do you believe this? <laughs> and I, I relied on humor for a moment, and I quoted, you remember the show King of Queens. I don't know that one. King of Queens. Okay. It's a comedy. And Kevin James is the actor in it. He's actually very Catholic in real life. And his wife says something to him like, oh, what do you think, Doug? You think there's a devil in red tights? And he goes, ah, that's not his tights. It's his skin. (laughs) (laughs) She sat back down, kind of laughed, and then was able to let the humor of C.S. Lewis pierce into the truth. And by the end of the class, she's like, oh, yeah, this is uh, this is ringing true. It's not just this unnamed evil, you know? Yeah. So. Okay. Um, in your book, Really a Companion to the Rosary, you include your poems, often in the voice of Jesus, of Mary, or of the disciples. Would you like to read any of these? Perhaps the mirror sonnet, this is an original form of sonnet that you created that reads forwards and then backwards and with an amazing effect uh, about Mary contemplating the prophecy of Simeon and thinking of her baby's fingers. Each line and dimple forms a sacred braille. All right. Mary recalls the prophecy of Simeon. A mother knows her son's hands like her own. She studies them from birth. Each fingernail is halo-shaped. Soft skin over strong bone. Each line and dimple forms a sacred braille. While Simeon foretold, I held Christ's hand. And that was when the blade first pierced my soul. I knew that to redeem a broken land, my child's palms could not remain smooth, whole. The earth is punctured, seeded before sprouts grow forth. Then fruit is gathered, branches pruned. There must be something for the soul who doubts to press their fingers into, like a wound. The piercing of my soul provides a sieve for sifting death from those who long to live. For sifting death from those who long to live, the piercing of my soul provides a sieve to press their fingers into like a wound. There must be something for the soul who doubts. Grow forth. Then fruit is gathered, branches pruned. My child's palms could not remain smooth, whole. The earth is punctured, seeded before sprouts. I knew that to redeem a broken land, and that was when the blade first pierced my soul. While Simeon foretold, I held Christ's hand. Each line and dimple formed a sacred braille, was halo-shaped, 
soft skin over strong bone. I'd studied them from birth, each fingernail. A mother knows her son's hands, like her own. And I love that so much. I love that poem so much. And, um, you know, I ha- I, my kids are a little older, but they used to have these teeny tiny hands. And I remember <laughs> having having little hands and, like, holding my mom's hand in church, you know, and I'd be like, oh, wow, oh. look at this, you know. Um, now my hands are getting kind of older myself. But uh, um, another favorite poem of mine is is uh, that you have is from the perspective of the beloved apostle, St. John the Evangelist, likewise considering the, uh, the veins of, of Mary's hands as a sacred scripture. Would you, would you like to read that one for us too? Sure. John speaks to Mary before the assumption. The veins within your hands are lines I read as scripture, and your eyes that saw him dead and also saw him born. See what we need and our unbearable beauty, stars spread with layered mercy trembling in your gaze, your shoulders strong beneath your hair and veil. I sing your beauty, grace-filled, countless ways. You are near death. I kneel before you. Hail, my mother. Here, your child sings the womb that held the word made flesh, that taught him speech. Your voice and face consoled him till the tomb. Be near to me forever, I beseech. While your body is still this side of sky, I hold your hand, so hard to say goodbye. For blessed is the fruit of your womb, who, while he hung outstretched dying on the cross, gave me to be your son and gave me you to be my mother, gain amidst the loss. And you, the tabernacle of his life, became the eyes through which I could see him. He looked so much like you. You ease the strife of all who you encounter. You're the hymn of love enfleshed and strong, a river reed who faced the wind while teaching how to bow. You and your son are all I'll ever need. My heart's a field. His teachings are the plow. Then let me be made little as a seed and hold me in your palm. That's all I need. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for reading those. Oh, um, my pleasure. Yeah. Um, here's my last question. Uh, God's creation, the Catholic world, and also the Jewish one, which ours grew from, is so physical. And everything that is spiritual, or at least many things that are spiritual, have a body. We, we talked about bread and wine and water and oil and cross and nails, and we could add ashes and we could add beads. The word is made flesh. And you reflect on how Mary was teaching the word, right? The living word of God, verbum, logos, the, the living word of God who created the world, world and the universe. And you say that she's the one who taught him his first words. And you wrote this two years ago. And uh, Pope Francis returned to this theme this very last Christmas about the vulnerability and smallness of Christ as he entered our world. His creation, but as you say, we did not know him. Uh, so he, you know, he was learning to walk as a baby. He was learning to speak, even though he is the word. Would you like to talk about this astounding paradox? 
Well, I'd like to return. I think we've gone full circle, which I always love. I think that's so beautiful that we've gone full circle in our conversation. In, in my book, Sacred Braille, that paradox is so clear in the Gospel of John. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Right When you say how he entered his creation, but we did not know him. And so we can be blind to the presence of Christ in our daily lives. And the rosary, when we pray it regularly, can help us recognize him. And all the things we do through our prayers, through our reading of scripture, through cultivating and and training our eyes to see those signs, we start to see him more often and know him. Um, what would you like to say about the paradox? I, I'm I'm touched by how how you're touched. I think that poem being one of your favorites really mm-hmm. says a lot. What do you yeah, like about as it? I like you know the vulnerability of the creator of the universe to participate in yes. this great experiment. Oh, I agree. I, I, why are we even here? And the answer has to be because God desires relationship with Love. His beloved creatures. Yes. Uh, and it's shocking and astounding, and it's very yes. hard to wrap your mind around. Uh, and yes. I think it's the sort of thing that makes people discount religion. Like, what? Yes. What is this crazy fairy tale? Yes. Um, uh, and it's a lot of work to get well, to the point where you see. You know what sums that up in four words? I think the words of Saint Francis of Assisi, which is also used. He's used. He uses the, these words when he's talking about the Eucharist. He says, "Oh, sublime humility! Oh, humble sublimity!" That yeah. that this God humbles himself so in so many ways. That's why we, that's why the Eucharist is true. The same God, if you can accept that he was born and allowed himself to be born in a, in a, in a, in a manger, you know, with the animals around him, this is a God willing to be humble out of love in countless ways, including the Eucharist. Yeah. And you know what? I think we only can figure this out a little bit when we become parents or we have a relationship Uh, like being a parent Yes, where we, where we can do this for something, somebody that we love so much. And until then, I think it's inscrutable. To quote one of the other poems in in Sacred Braille, in the voice of Mary, how humble would he make himself for love? I hoped that when he washed your feet, you'd know. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I'm afraid we're out of time. So I would love it. I just, first, I want to say thank you so much for spending this hour with me. And I, I would love to ask you to please say a blessing for our listeners and their families and our uh, beleaguered world. I'd be honored. Uh, I believe that the devotion to the holy face of our Lord is one of the greatest devotions there is. It allows us to become like St. Veronica, making reparation to Jesus on the way of of the cross. Mm -hmm. So two Chronicles teaches um, a wonderful lesson about if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So I recommend to your listeners, look up the Holy Face devotion. It's incredibly powerful for our times. And so I leave you today with this great blessing that St. Francis of Assisi famously gave his friend, Brother Leo. And this blessing was based on that scripture I just cited. Okay. So God's beloved listeners, may God bless you and your families. And in the words of St. Francis, May the Lord bless and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be merciful to you. May he turn his countenance toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born for me, for you. And hail, hail the 
Chris Odinitz and Annabelle Mosley recorded this conversation on April 1st, 2022, the Feast of St. Hugh of Grenoble. And I'm publishing it the following day, April 2nd, which is the first Saturday of the month for those who'd like to attempt the first five Saturdays of the month that Our Lady of Fatima desired of us. Our music is from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster. Their website is www.gscoasterband.com. Our logo, the image of the dog, is from the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales at english.op.org. Thank you so much for listening to Almost Good Catholics. Please email me with any questions or comments or ideas for future episodes at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. I'm Chris Odinitz, and I'll talk to you soon. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing.